Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 6, Episode 15. My name is Rick. I'm author of the recently released Jesus Centered Daily and general editor of the Jesus Centered Bible. And four or five years ago, I wrote a book called The The Jesus Centered Life that kicked off a whole string of uh, resources I helped uh, create around this whole idea of what does it look like to live your life centered around Jesus, not because you're supposed to or because you should or because somebody told you this is what it looks like to be a Christian, but just because you can't help yourself. You have encountered Jesus um, in such a way that your whole life revolves around him. What what does that kind of life look like? How How do we live that kind of life? How do we even enter into a life like that? That's what this podcast is all about slowing down to pay ridiculous attention to Jesus. Because when that happens, it's hard to not be impacted by him. And uh, that that kind of fits exactly with the series we're in right now. This is the seventh episode in this new series that I'm calling Jesus People. And we're essentially exploring the heart of Jesus through the lens of his friends and his enemies and people he met along the way. Sometimes people that don't even remember meeting him, but were nevertheless, their whole life was changed by him. Uh, it, it just, it always reminds me of this quote that I start off every episode uh, in this series with from Dr. Peter Kreeft. He's a Boston University professor and a and renowned C.S. Lewis scholar. He said this, Christ changed every human being he ever met. If anyone claims to have met him without being changed, he hasn't met him at all. When you touch Jesus, you touch lightning. And that's so true in this series as we've been uh, exploring uh, the impact that Jesus has in the lives of people that loved him and the people that hated him even, and how their lives are upended by him. And and uh, that's true about you know what this podcast is about as well, is what does it mean to encounter Jesus in such a way that our, our lives have been hit by lightning? <laughs> we, we've touched lightning and nothing will be the same again. That's what we do here. So for regular listeners of the podcast, you know that um, we skipped a week. Um, That's going to happen every now and then, I think. Uh, I'm in a new role as executive director of Vibrant Faith. It's a kind of a small but iconic ministry resourcing organization. For 33 years, I've worked at group publishing, helping lead their their, uh, youth ministry area, and in some respects, the adult ministry area. Um, I did that for a long time. And then the pandemic hit, and then um, uh, a lot of people at group ended up um, having to leave because of the impact on the on group from the pandemic. And in that liminal space, that in between space, Jesus nudged me into this amazing new role I have with Vibrant Faith, helping guide and direct our ministry resourcing efforts. We do world class research. Um, uh, with uh, grants from the Lilly Foundation. We have a coaching school and a coaching team that helps coach ministry leaders. Um, and we do online masterclasses. Uh, 
So I'll tell more about uh, the kinds of things that Vibrant Faith offers as the as this series continues. But um, if you want to check out more of who we are and what we do, you can go to vibrantfaith.org. And in about a month, we'll have a brand new website. So when you show up at the website, as I just asked you to do, just remember, um, oh, there's going to be something new and shiny here soon. <laughs> so uh, it's been a long several month process, but we're about to launch a new website and we're doing lots of new and fun things that um, are designed to um, help ministry leaders in particular, but everyone in general. So there's a little bit of, of, my, of my current history and the reason why there may be times when we don't, I, I'm not able to get a, a episode a week produced as uh, now my new role, uh, of course, I'm I'm uh, like a, the proverbial drinking out of a fire hose. So, so uh, but I I'm so thrilled to be able to uh, continue doing these episodes. So, um, let's before we uh, lean into the person we're going to focus on in this episode of paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Let's start broad. Uh, let's ask a, a really big question: What? did Jesus come to do anyway? I mean, what was Jesus' mission? Well, and we say, you know, our, our, our uh, sort of standard answers to the, to this question, what did Jesus come to do are, you know, the, almost anything that you say right now would be true. It, it, whatever comes out of your mouth, it would be true that yes, Jesus came to redeem us. Yes. Uh, he, he came to offer his life in exchange for ours. Yes, he did. He came to give us an abundant life. Yes. Um, he. What else did he do? He came to offer us a place in the kingdom of God that he says he's gone ahead to prepare for us, right? Um, we could go on and on about the what's of, well, what did Jesus come to do? And all of it's true. Yet from his own perspective, why did Jesus come? Yes, it's, it's pretty easy to answer what questions. This is why I love why questions so much. It's, it makes you slow down and consider the heart when you ask a why question. So if all these things are true, the what's of Jesus' mission and ministry are true. From his own perspective, why did Jesus come? Well, I think we can find the answer to that question in the why of his father, who is the most influential person in his life. How do we know this? Because Jesus says so constantly. He is constantly pointing to his father. He's doing it overtly. He's telling people, right now I'm pointing to the father, or right now I'm going to go spend some time with my father, or right now what I just said to you or did is just what I saw the father doing. He is always pointing to his father, and he's always hinting at his father's why. And when I say his father's why, I mean his, his father's passion and motivation and purpose, passion, motivation, and purpose. That, that's what fuels our why in life. And I said, Jesus is always pointing to it. Here's just a few examples. In John 5, 19, he says, very truly, I say to you, the son, me, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Not, by the way, the implication here is because I'm forced to, or he told me to, it's because he loves what his father does. 
He, he's enamored of what his father does. He loves the why of his father, the passion and motivation and purpose in his father's heart. He loves that. In Matthew 10, 40, he says, anyone who receives you receives me. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, anyone who receives me receives the father who sent me. <laughs> so he's saying, you're, you're going to get both of us because you can't receive me without receiving my father, where the two are intertwined. Um, and in, uh, finally, Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those whom the son chooses to reveal him. So he's saying, I have intimate knowledge of my father and he has intimate knowledge of me. And we're the only two that really know each other at the depths of ourselves. And every part of my father, I love. The deeper I go, the more I, I honor and enjoy the depths of, of his why, his, his uh, purpose and passion and his motivation. And Jesus says, um, if I choose to reveal him to you, then you get to see him too. So the what of Jesus' mission on earth is important, but to really understand what drives him, his passion, motivation, determination, his heart, we have to slow down and pay better attention to his why, right? And his why is directly tied to his relationship with his father and, and how much he sees and enjoys and embraces and honors his father's why. So I thought it'd be interesting for us to watch a short video from a stand-up comedian named Michael Jr. He's reflecting on the power of why. And I, I thought this illustrated it so well. So let me set up what you're going to hear. Um, Michael Jr. is in a large uh, event auditorium talking to, it looks like about 5,000 people. Um, and I'm not exactly sure of the setting. I don't think it's just a stand-up gig. It's something else. But he's, he's talking to the audience about, uh, and you'll hear him talk about a new feature that he's, he's releasing on his YouTube channel, where he shows a snippet from one of his stand-up events, where he's doing stand-up comedy, where he kind of stops in the middle of his set and uh, interacts with the audience. He picks people out and just starts up a conversation to find out um, what they're about. And, uh, and then he kind of riffs on whatever he finds out with that person. So you're going to hear him set this up and then you're going to hear it switch to this scene from one of his stand-up times when he's engaging uh, a man uh, in one of the front rows. And this man is a, a large African-American man who is a school music instructor. And so you're going to hear him in mid-conversation with this school music instructor and you'll hear their interaction and what happens. And then we'll come back to the, the first setting uh, of in this, in this clip where he's talking to these like 5,000 people. And he'll talk about that interaction yet. Hope that makes sense. I think it will as we listen. So let's go ahead and listen to Michael Jr. Here we go. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what? I'm supposed to do. 
the, the question that you really should ask is how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at three o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is, is it's me. I travel around the country and I do stand-up comedy in case you know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Zillian's Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Yes, Ooh. sir. All right. So um, let me get a couple. Let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? Now, what you give me the version is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know what version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. All right. I just love that illustration. It's so simple. As soon as you hear it and see it, you realize, oh, that's so true. But what rings true about the power of why in our lives? How are we impacted by others' whys? 
I mean, how are we impacted when we know our own why, but also when we know the why of the person we're interacting with? How does that infect or influence us in any way? So what does a why, when we know the person's why, what does that show us? Well, it shows us who the person is. Shows us their motivation, as we've talked about. It, uh, it can reveal why we care about something, and why that person cares about something. And then that changes our outlook when we know that, right? Our why gets at the heart of things. Um, and if we're going to commit to something, we're going to need to know the why behind it. And that why is going to have to connect with our why, right? The thing that drives us, the thing we're passionate about has to connect with, well, let's say another person's why. Our passion has to connect with their passion. And when that happens, um, it helps us in our relationship, obviously. If you sense that one person's why is a lot like yours, that really is a bridge into a deeper relationship. It can also help you feel inspired. Uh, you saw inspiration behind the second version of that song, right? Because he's now singing out of a place of why. Um, and so, therefore, it's much more inspiring to listen to him sing. Um, it expands our perspective. Uh, when we know our own why or the why of another person, it expands our perspective and, and reveals that person and moves us because of it. All of those things are true. So in this episode, we're just going to flip the script just a little. We've been exploring the heart of Jesus by slowing down to pay attention to his impact on other people. And through that impact, we get to see his heart better. Now let's look at how the most influential person in his life impacted and shaped his heart. Let's plunge into the whys behind the impact that Jesus' father had on him, right? So you might think about this as, uh, have you ever seen a police sketch artist try to draw a picture of a person just based on the witness's description of that person? Well, that's kind of what Jesus was doing. Uh, he knows we can't see God and no one's ever seen God, but he has. He, he said, we already know this, I read this before, that the only one who truly knows the Father is the Son, because he's seen him up close and personal. And so and you can think about this in a way that Jesus is that, uh, both the witness and the sketch artist. <laughs> Jesus is the one who saw the person we can't see, and now he's going to try to sketch out what, this, what, what God the Father is like. And he does that in lots of different ways. His sketches come to us in lots of different ways. One way is if you just study what Jesus believes in, what he's passionate about, what, what he thinks is true. He's told us already that he's got all that from his father. And sometimes he points overtly to his father and says, you know, uh, this is what the father's like. And so if you want to please the father, th th this is what you're going to have to do. <laughs> So sometimes he's overt and sometimes he's covert, but in all ways, he's trying to sketch for us a picture of the God we can't see, the father that he loves so much and whose why has so um, captured his own heart. He's trying to sketch that father out to us. 
And one way that he sketches is by simply pointing to the whys of his father, his father's passion and purpose and motivation. He points to those things to try to sketch out what this unseen father is like. So, so uh, yes, yes, the Trinity has three persons. And in this podcast and in my books, I focus on Jesus. And the, and the reason for that is that in the Trinity, the Trinity kind of made this decision that uh, everything points to the Son. The Son's going to reveal both the Spirit and the Father. So if you pay attention to Jesus, you get to understand the Father and the Spirit as well. And that's what Jesus is really saying. I know the Father and the Spirit like no one else. And so watch me, listen to me, because everything I do is tied to what I've seen the Father and the Spirit do. That's how you get to know them. Um, so uh, what we filter through all of that is that the Father's been a huge influence in everything Jesus says and does. So here we go. What we're going to do is jump into at least one section. We'll see how, how far this takes us, but at least one section um, where Jesus is exploring and sketching out for us his Father and it's going to be both overt and covert. So he's going to point to his father's passion, motivation, and purpose, his whys. And then he's going to be more explicit sometimes about those things as well. But here's what I want you to think about as we jump into these. Here's the question I want you to mull. What is the father's why? His passion, motivation, and purpose. And how does it influence Jesus? What can you pick up? in these little segments that I'm going to read about the father's why is passion, motivation, and purpose. And how do you see it influencing Jesus? So here we go. The first one I'm going to jump into is Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Matthew 6, 1 through 18. So if you're not driving right now and you want to crack open your Jesus-centered Bible, um, go ahead and crack it open to Matthew 6. This is at the tail end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So it's Jesus on a hillside and He's a, a, a fire hose blasting a bunch of truths to this gathered crowd as he is uh, launching his ministry. And so his, uh, I believe that the reason why Jesus in Matthew 5 and 6 does something he never does again in his ministry, where he just spills out a, a bunch of truths about the kingdom of God and things that are true in the culture of the Trinity I, I believe he's doing this to try to contrast how different it, life is and the value system of the kingdom of God is than the value system of the world that people are living in. I think it's a shock and awe campaign. So you're getting the end of Jesus's shock and awe campaign in Matthew 6. And I've titled this little segment, What the Father Knows. What the Father Knows. So again, our question is, what is the Father's why? Is passion, motivation, purpose? And how is it influencing Jesus? Uh, think about that question as I read, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 6. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they received all of the reward they're ever going to get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, 
will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Do you see this repeated pattern in this segment, Matthew 6, 1 through 18? Um, It's striking when you separate this out from the rest of what Jesus is saying. It's a pattern of, here's here's what hypocritical people do. (laughs) And here's the contrast to that. And here's what I would like you to do. Because the reward that the hypocritical people are getting for the way they're doing these things, that ends with whatever feedback they get in the moment. But the reward you'll get when you do the things the way I'm talking about will be from your father and will keep going. And so how do we contrast these things? So the first thing he talks about is don't do good things publicly to be, to be admired by others. He's not saying don't do good things in public. He's saying if your motivation for doing it in public is to be admired by others, you're not only not going to get a reward after whatever in the moment reward you get for doing that, but, it's, but he says you're going to lose the reward from your father in heaven. And when you give to someone in need, he says, don't do it like these hypocrites do where they, they do it in public so that they can be admired by others. Again, they blow trumpets to call attention to what they're doing. He's saying that's the only reward they're ever going to get. Um, and, and he says, so when you give to someone, don't, don't do it in such a way that it's performance related. Don't, don't do it in such a way that even subtly you're trying to draw attention to yourself. Why? What's the why behind this value system that he's trying to describe? This, the value system that he has seen in his father. The value system is authenticity. That what we learn here is that God doesn't want performance. And this is different from a lot of the gods that people have uh, created and served throughout history. The gods that human beings create want human beings to perform for them, right? But the God that Jesus is revealing to us isn't interested in our performance. He doesn't want us tied to the 
sort of insecure reward system that is our default setting. Like, uh, have you ever, uh, there, there's a, a local pizza place that we go to that has the best pizza in town. It happens to be two minutes from our house. So they have incredible New York pizza there. And um, they, the, the founder of this pizza place is from New York City. And so everything about the place is New York-y. And um, when you go to get a pizza to take out, um, you have to go up to a counter and behind the counters where they're making all the pizzas. Um, and it's a thriving, like a beehive of activity back there. And they have a, a, a person there who's taking your money. And once you pay, they have a tip basket, or you could put a tip, uh, if you're using a credit card, you could put a tip on there as well. But the tip basket is sitting there. And if you throw a few bucks in there, the person behind the counter will yell out to the crew who's making all the pizzas. And let's, let's say it's me. So I got to replicate this right. You know, use the right New York accent. Um, let's say it's me getting the, the pizza and I throw five bucks in the tip basket. The guy behind the counter is going to yell out in a loud voice. Hey guys, something from Rick, something from Rick. And then the whole crew says, thank you. Um, it's part of the culture of this place. Well, I found myself sometimes, and maybe you've been in this situation before too, where I'm putting my tip in the tip basket and the guy at the counter turns away and doesn't notice it. And by the time he turns back, he has no idea what I've done. And I go through this tension inside. I think this was part of a Seinfeld episode as well, by the way, <laughs> where George, George Costanza uh, put a tip in a tip basket, but it didn't get noticed. And then he goes to great lengths to try to get noticed for the tip that he's, that he's put in there. And I have to say, you know, I understand that kind of motivation because you want them to know that you're not stingy and you, you, you gave, you were generous. And so you want that to be announced to them because you don't want to be seen as a stingy Scrooge in front of everyone that you announced that it gets announced. So there's this dynamic that Jesus is trying to get at here too. So what's your motivation? Could you put something in the tip basket and it not be noticed and be okay about it? And if you are okay about it, where's your motivation coming from? Is your generosity tied to something that is doing something for you? Because as soon as it is, there's a little bit of something Jesus is trying to say here that's inauthentic about it. He wants rather our motivation to come from a place of just default generosity. Well, thanks a lot, Jesus, for that high bar, because um, very few of us feel that way all the time. So why is he pointing all this out? He's trying to say that when you are in relationship with me and with my father, he will enable you to live the kind of life that he lives and the kind of life that my father lives is he's giving all the time. He's putting trillions of dollars in the tip basket, knowing no one hardly ever recognizes how much he's putting in the basket. They hardly ever point out the tremendous gifts God gives. So where does his motivation come from? It doesn't come from a place of insecurity where he needs us to say to to bolster his fragile ego and say, "Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that." 
He doesn't demand that we notice. Because if he, if he had to demand that we notice, then there'd be a lack of differentiation in who he is. He'd be tied to our response, and he's not. God gives because he's love, and love gives. That's his very nature. He gives even to his enemies. Think about the humility of that. God gives to people that hurt him and hurt the people he loves. He gives to them too. Because at the heart of God, his why is to love and to love again and to love again. He loves his people. Therefore, he gives. Then he goes into this, Jesus goes into this little uh, section about our prayer um, and don't pray in public either, because that's another way that religious people, people like you and me, can get a little something, something from the people around us when we uh, pray in public and it goes pretty well, when we perform pretty well in our prayer. Well, think about from God's perspective, what we're turning prayer into when we do that. Then prayer becomes a performance that's about us instead of a conversation. What if um, the other day my my uh, wife was disappointed because I had to get on to another Zoom meeting as part of my job. And she was hoping that we would have 15 minutes or so to connect in the morning. And I couldn't. Um, and so I told her, as soon as I'm done with this meeting, I'll grab a cup of coffee and we'll sit for 15 minutes and talk. So I did that. And there was something on her heart that she really wanted to share about and hadn't had a chance to share yet. But what if I entered into that conversation when my wife is really wanting to connect with me and she says a little something to me, and then I start talking to her as if I'm trying to impress her with my eloquence and rhetoric, almost as if I'm reading from a script. How do you think that conversation would go? Well, in my household, it would take an immediate U-turn into the darkness <laughs> uh, because my wife, what is she looking for? She's looking for intimate connection authentic, intimate connection with me. And if I turn it into a performance, then what is that? What a relationship killer. And what God wants at the core of his why is a desire to be in relationship with us, authentic, real relationship. So why is Jesus saying, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do, or don't, don't sound a trumpet when you pray on the street corner? He's saying, don't do that because you're not really having a conversation then. You're not really connecting authentically um, uh, around a shared why at that point. You're not, you're not uh, moving toward intimacy. And that's what my father wants. That's what I see he wants. That's what I have with him, intimacy. And he wants that same intimacy that I share with him to be the intimacy he shares with all of you. So... For instance, um, if he, and he basically says, I'm telling you what not to do with prayer. So uh, if I flip the coin and say, well, well, how do you pray then? You pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
So we have taken this, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and we've made it into the very kind of thing Jesus said he didn't want, which is some something rote, something inauthentic, something that doesn't come from the heart. But he didn't say pray these words. He said pray like this. What he means by this, if we consider what he's saying here, is he says pray like this. When you start out, recognize that you're my daddy. You're not my master. I'm not a slave. You're my daddy, and I come to you like a child. And I want to, I want to keep your name holy. You are awesome. I love who you are. You're set apart. You're different. You're, you're so different. The culture that you preside over, the heart that you have is different. You're holy. May your kingdom come soon. Which means I want your way of living and your value system to be the value system we all live under. I want your kingdom to come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because why? Because the motivations of your heart, the why of your heart is so good. I want the, the, your will, the expression of your why to happen here on earth the same way I've experienced it in the kingdom. And then back to being a child again, he says, give us the food we need, meaning I, I have needs and the needs are real. Uh, they're not spiritualized needs. They're, they're material needs. So don't be afraid to ask your father because he's good about your needs. And then he says, forgive our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. So we know that there is darkness in us. We know that we've done things that violate our relationship with God and thumb our nose at his value system. And, and he encourages us to um, ask to have those, those sins forgiven, but by the standard that we've forgiven others in our life so that we're not living a hypocritical life. And don't let us yield to temptation. He knows that we're going to be tempted, that there's going to be other narratives that draw us away from the one true narrative that God has given us. So he asks, uh, asks us to ask our father to protect us and rescue us from the evil one, who's a deceiver and has been from the very beginning. And by definition, that means his deceits have some truth thrown into them. That's what draws us to them. So we need rescue from that. Do you, do you hear do you hear the why of the Father coming through everything Jesus is saying? These are the values and characteristics that he absolutely loves. He loves his Father's why, his purpose and motivation and passion. And all of those things come through in these uh, behavior patterns around how we talk with him. And you could coalesce it into talk with him like the child you are, like the dependent child you are, and make it real. Be authentic. Stop performing. It doesn't matter. The performance actually takes you out of the relationship. The more you perform, the less in relationship you are. And that's what he wants. He wants you. He doesn't want your performance. He just wants you and all of your messiness. In the last part of this, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father won't forgive your sins. Why? Because he does not want to raise hypocrites as children. So if, 
if, if he forgives you, if you ask for forgiveness, but you refuse to forgive others, then you haven't yet tasted grace. Even the forgiveness you get is cheap because it doesn't mean anything to you. But if you ask for forgiveness and you forgive others, um, then it tells, tells the father, I'm serious about this. I understand what I've done. And I've understand I, because I understand what others have done to me, and I have freed them from the consequence of their hurt. It doesn't mean I've forgotten it or ignore it, but I've forgiven it. Um, and in the same way, the father doesn't forget or ignore the harmful, hurtful things that we do, but he forgives them. He just doesn't want us to live as hypocrites. And uh, the last part of this, he says, when you fast. Don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. Look at this is so funny. They try to look miserable and disheveled, <laughs> so people will know. Oh, they're fasting. Uh, have you ever um, wanted to let people know that it's maybe someone in your family um, who you think maybe not being paying attention to you very much, and the incredibly hard work you're doing? Maybe you've been working in the yard, and you come in and you go, "Woo, man, am I hot? Wow, I'm really sweating." <laughs> Just maybe so that people will recognize how hard you've been working. So here he's saying, when you fast, don't don't do that. Don't don't make yourself look miserable and disheveled so people will admire you for. Oh my gosh, look, he's fasting. Because fasting is really another way of connecting to God in such a way that you recognize your dependence on Him, um, and God wants to reward that in uh, when He sees it. He wants to say, essentially, I mean, to put it another way, way to go, way to go that um, you're not trying to leverage the system to get something your insecure soul needs. Um, you're, you're not living hypocritically in a performance mentality. So he says, when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face so that no one notices that you're fasting except for your father who knows exactly what you do in private. He wants the relationship to be intimate and authentic. And the father who sees everything will reward you with what? With his presence, with his real authentic presence. And there's nothing more satisfying than that in the world. Nothing. Now we could go on and on with more segments from scripture. There's many, many of them where Jesus is doing the same thing overtly and covertly pointing to his father's why. If you want to do some further further diving into this, you can do exactly what I've just done now. Um, ask what's the father's why in this segment, his passion and motivation and purpose, and how does it influence Jesus? Let me give you a few other places you can go. If you have something to write with or scribble down a note, I'll also put these three passages on um, the, the episode page of paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Again, this is season six, episode 15. So I will list these uh, four additional, three additional passages. How many is it? Three or four? Yeah, it's four additional passages. I just took samplers. There's many more than these, but these are really good ones. So there's uh, Matthew 6, 24 through 34, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, John 5, 16 through 30, and Matthew 18, 10 through 20. 
and that's Matthew 6, 24 through 34, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, John 5, 16 through 30, and Matthew 18, 10 through 20. Those are a few more segments that you can dive into and ask this good question. What's the father's why, his passion, motivation, and purpose, and how does it influence Jesus? So as we wrap up today, um, can, can you exhale for a moment? Uh, I know that you're probably in the middle of a demanding day with lots of uh, reasons for you to come through for others in your day-to-day, or maybe you have some challenges and worries on your mind. Just exhale for a moment. Can we come to the Father in his why? Now that we've heard more about his heart, can we come like a child to him? Just going to give you a moment to pause here and silently or out loud, if you're in a place that you feel comfortable doing that, ask or say anything you want to ask or say to that good father who has the kind of heart that Jesus just pointed to. Let's just be quiet. Ask or say anything you want to that father. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can go again to paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com and look for season six, episode 15 for links to the things I talked about today, including that video that I played earlier. It's well worth watching. It's really powerful, actually. So I would encourage you to go to the site, find that link and and watch it yourself. And uh, of course, I'll list the, the four passages I just gave you there as well. This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from ricklawrence.com. You can subscribe on Google Play or iTunes, and we'll see you again next week.